In this episode of the Smart City Podcast, I have a fantastic conversation with Robert Linsdale. Robert is the Managing Director of Vertiv for Australia and New Zealand. He is passionate about technology, he grew up with it, and has worked with technology all of his life. We first talk about the different sectors of a smart city and what is to come, then talk about the importance of uninterrupted connectivity and power supply for a smart city. Robert then talks about how important it is for interoperability to occur and to collaborate instead of compete. Robert then shares what Vertiv does, particularly with regards to data centers and UPS, uninterruptible power supply. We then talk about how unforgiving we are of technology and that we need to start talking about what to do if it fails. We finally discuss how important it is for government to keep up with technology when doing policy and planning. As always, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. It's the Smart City Podcast, whoa, with smart city experts, here we go, connecting smart technology, both big and small, smart cities are making life better for all, big data, emerging trends, self-driving cars and more, the Smart City Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Robert, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much, Zoe. And looking forward to this. That is awesome. Well, since you're looking forward to it, let's jump straight in. And can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you're passionate about? Yeah, sure. Well, I've always been uh, passionate about technology. I grew up in a family that was, I mean, it might not sound like technology now, but it was during its uh, day. And that was uh, radar. My father was a radar engineer. So he sort of uh, started us all on the uh, road to technology, went through analog computers, and I grew up with all of that. And I happen to have worked my whole life in uh, technology. So um, it's just one of those things that, uh, that that makes me buzz. That's awesome. You know, one of the things is, is sort of a look a little bit back in history. Uh, a lot of the talk these days is about the fourth industrial revolution. And uh, I wasn't around, obviously, when uh, steam was the very first one many, many, many years ago, back in the 1800s. And uh, and then the next one, which was uh, late 1800s, uh, early 1900s, was uh, electricity, telephones. They sort of changed the whole world. Um, but I did live through the third one, which was the digital one. This was uh, sort of late 1980s, where uh, we sort of went into the world of uh, digital everything. Um, but the difference on that digital to the the fourth is that it was digital helping us. You know, we were talking to computers or we were talking to a phone or we were playing with an app on a phone. Or we were playing games on uh, terminals that, you know, looked in the early days at TV screens. And then now we uh, obviously have a number of um, devices that we can play games on. And so they were, the interaction was always via something. But uh, the fourth industrial revolution is about cyber physical. So it's great to be sort of living through two. I bet not many people have been able to do that where uh, you know we humans are going to be automatically interacting with that technology without any direct in- input. Yeah, we might have a wearable or we might have some glasses on, but things will just happen because we're there. And uh, I think that's pretty exciting to be uh, living through that. Mm, yeah, definitely. So tell us what sparked your interest in this smart city space. It sounds like you were always um, engrossed in technology from a very young age. So was there anything in particular that really sparked your interest, you know, to follow down that technology path? Yeah, well, I think with, with smart cities, the thing about smart cities is, is it's obviously very big and it encompasses everything. Uh, we're going to be uh, challenged with uh, connectivity, uh, having good connectivity. 
we're going to need to have um, all of these um, um, interactions are going to need to have power, and that power needs to be always on. And of course, we need security because uh, it needs to be uh, reliable. So as we uh, walk around our day in a smart city, uh, the smart city will actually know that you're there. You know, sure, we've got some privacy things that we need to uh, address, and some countries are addressing those by basically removing the need for privacy. In other countries, like in Europe, um, they're very much uh, strict about the privacy, but I'm not going to talk about privacy. It's not one of my uh, expertises. But um, the uh, world of the smart city is going to be linking all of the various different uh, aspects of what makes it work, you know, oil and gas, uh, electricity and power in terms of powering that city, smart transportation, smart emergency services, uh, smart government services that will be uh, provided with uh, maybe health that are all uh, interacting. Banking finance will be smart. You know, we might, we might, have, uh, we might walk into an area where we're uh, automatically uh, paying for something just because it's us and it knows that it's us. Uh, so there are very many uh, aspects of uh, smart cities which have yet to be uh, developed. But I guess the, the exciting thing for me is that all of these uh, technologies are going to have to talk to each other and they're all going to have to work. And uh, that, that's the fun part. Mm, definitely. So tell us what a smart city means to you. So a smart city uh, is really where everything obviously needs to operate. You know, there's a, there's a huge interaction of people uh, technology devices, where they're all integrated. The whole ecosystem is interconnected and talking to each, uh, talking to itself and, and others. And where what we call the citizen services are always on. So um, again, if I'm if I'm walking down the street, it, the, the the knowledge that the city will have that it's me that's walking down that street, or I'm in an autonomous vehicle, and it knows that I'm in that vehicle. Uh, driving down that street or being driven, in fact, down that street to a destination that will know where I'm going. I mean, it, it, it all sounds pretty scary stuff, but I, I guess ultimately we'll, uh, we'll get used to um, this, is, this being the way of life. So, yeah, it's where everything just works. And I think one of the things that sort of concerns me about it all is that uh, how much of uh, our lives is going to be uh, put down to it being done for us and how much of it is going to be left for us to think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I quite like walking down the street and nobody knowing that it's me walking down that street, but I'm not too sure whether we'll be able to do that in the future. Mm, interesting. So why do you think that this, like my thoughts about that particularly, um, that maybe we don't want all of this smart, you know, city knowing exactly what we're doing and thinking and all that type of thing. I mean, that's why I'm involved in it, I guess. Um because I think it's going to happen with us or without us and we're better off being involved. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts about why you think this smart city concept is so important. I think the smart city concept is important because the technology can be used to make us uh, a lot more efficient. I mean, we're, we're entering a world where there's a lot of economic turmoil. Um, there's uh, climate change, whether it's, um, I guess it is pretty much induced by ourselves, that's pretty much proven. We have an aging population. We've got a lot of uh, urbanization. People want to uh, live and work where, uh, you know, in the sort of the same area. And, and, and the good thing is that within the smart city environment, we actually have the technology and the innovation to solve all of these difficulties. 
I guess the question is, is how we actually align it all so that, that it does become very efficient. Uh, right now, what I'm tending to see are uh, we have a number of um, uh, early starter projects, which, you know, are, are very innovative and they're certainly very creative. But the long-term goal of having a fully interactive uh, city with the individual for, um, you know, for good gain of efficiencies. I mean, we're going to be so many people in this world. If we, if we continue to waste the power and water and uh, resources in the way that we are right now, we're going to run out of those resources uh, too quickly. That's why technology is needed really to make us a lot more efficient. Mm, yeah, definitely. So how do you think that Australia is currently embracing this smart city concept? Right now what I'm seeing is uh, a lot of early start. I, I, I don't think Australia is any further ahead or, uh, or particularly far behind uh, what's going on in the rest of the world. From what I see, we would, it would appear that we're a lot more fragmented. Now, the part of that is created by the geography of Australia. Obviously, our population is uh, either condensed in a number of uh, metropolitan centers or it's very much distributed over a very sparse area. And there are a couple of other countries around the world which are similar, but really uh, Australia has a degree of uh, uniqueness there. But I think that throws up uh, some of the challenges. I guess where I'm going is that if, if there is some form of application uh, and method of doing something as, an, uh, as a citizen walking down, again, walking down the street as, as, a, as a smart citizen, and... I am interacting or expecting, for instance, maybe maybe rather than walking, let's go driving. My my smart city parking device works perfectly well in one city and will take me to uh, where I want to go to park uh, very quickly and very efficiently. But then when I drive to another city, that smart parking may be a different protocol. It may be a different company. And guess what? It doesn't talk to the application that I'm using, so I have to put on another app. And you can multiply that by city by city by city. And I, and I think that's where I see Australia to a degree lagging. And, and I think it's partly caused by the fact that uh, a lot of the smart city activity here uh, is being perceived more as a competition, um, maybe being a little bit uncharitable there. What I would like to see is that, there are, that if one city uh, is doing something that, that another city says, well, that's a really cool idea, I like that, Let's replicate that so that our two cities can talk nicely to each other. And then meanwhile, what I'll do is I'll pioneer this and then maybe exchange it back. I guess the government has a bit to play on this. Um, but, but I think that's one of the challenges with uh, Australia is, is, is its geography and the way the population is dis distributed amongst the, um, uh, the country. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, um, I think you're right. We do have some unique challenges for sure. And I think. At the moment, that yeah, the smart city kind of space or concepts is fairly fairly new to Australia in the sense of you know a few years old in its particular format, um, and so maybe yeah, there is a little bit of competition as who's who's got the best smart application or or whatever, which, which is not conducive really to getting maybe the best of outcomes. I mean, uh, you know, in terms of. If, 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 you, if you look at some of the technologies that have been developed, um, I mean, we, we again, we can really harness that and, and you know, maybe take a, a bit of a lead. But, um, I mean, the, the thought of a smart city has been around for a long, 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 long time. 
It's just that the technology these days is lending itself. You know, our, our, the advances in sensors, the fact that there are a lot of um, low-power sensors available uh, that, are, that are feeding back information that allow us to understand what, it, what an individual is doing or what a vehicle is doing or what, what is going on in that city. Maybe it's te measuring temperatures, uh, humidities, um, pollution. The, these sensors are really, really cheap now, so you can have you know, millions and millions of them all connected to the Internet. Whereas go back you know, 20, 20 years, yes, there were sensors around that did exactly that as well, but they were extremely expensive. So we, we actually have the technology that allows this now to take place. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's um, interoperability, as you said, is is the key to making that connected smart region or or country or whatever you want to kind of call it. And without um, the overarching collaboration or um, cooperation, interoperability isn't really achievable and unless we all talk to each other. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Cool. Well, let's talk about some of the projects and things you're currently working on at the moment. Most of the uh, projects we're working on are really very early stage. So it will be where uh, maybe uh, someone is putting in a sensor system that is aggregating information. And that uh, aggregated information uh, where the aggregator is sitting requires maybe a small uh, uninterruptible power supply, which is making sure that, um, that if there is a power failure, that it continues to aggregate. The, the, these things become more and more uh, critical the more reliant we are. So, for instance, if I take a smart, a smart parking device, because there are a number of them out there, um, if I have a failure in the system, then I'm going to have a lot of people driving around expecting the app to work, and it doesn't work. So building in the uh, resilience into that uh, network from a power and connectivity point of view is absolutely essential. So we see a few of those. And I guess the only other area of main significance where we're seeing it, because our solutions really are about um, protecting data centers, be they small data centers or large data centers, and making sure that they keep running all the time, is uh, where we will have perhaps local governments uh, and local councils where they're looking to put in um, data center assets with, with a degree of future-proofing in there. So they sort of don't really know what they're necessarily going to be used for, but they know that they need them. And, and, and what, we, what we don't want to do is to end up with a situation whereby uh, there's a lack of uh, cohesion between those uh, different um, smart city applications because they all need to come back uh, and their, their data needs to be stored somewhere and that data, you know, yes, sure, you can use cloud, but maybe a lot of that information, people don't want it to go into the cloud, or maybe they have a latency situation whereby uh, people need to be able to access that information very quickly, or maybe it has a high level of video content that uh, really doesn't make uh, the cloud uh, the best medium to be storing that information. So what we're seeing is, is a, a number of uh, councils that are building in small uh, modular data centers or some small uh, micro data centers to um, allow them to put their uh, technology assets as as the applications are developed and are being used. Yeah, cool. Well, maybe for our listeners, you can uh, explain a little bit about what Vertiv does um, so our listeners can understand. We're all about keeping uh, the power on, keeping keeping stuff running. Most of our uh, support really is is to data centers. Uh, again, big or small. 
we're, we've uh, we've actually we actually have assets that are and technology that are supporting the largest data centers in the world, which um, you can uh, probably imagine who they are. The big uh, the big cloud providers, for instance. Uh, all the way down to uh, little tiny uh, micro data centers, which might only be uh, 10, 10 racks in size, uh, which would sit in uh, an office or um, in, a, in a room somewhere. So we're, 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 what, we're, what we're doing is we're protecting uh, that all that uh, data. It's a bit like if you recall when uh, most of us had desktop computers and you had a power outage, you, know, you lost all your information, all the work that you'd been working on. And, uh, and, and, and all the lights go out, well, uh, we make sure that those data centers keep running 24-7. But uh, that alone, uh, we also need to be keeping the data centers cool. So we, we have what's called precision cooling, which is a very fancy air conditioning. Uh, and then we'll have um, monitoring to make sure that these data centers are running as efficiently as possible. And uh, we'll also have, as I mentioned earlier, the UPS, little UPS, which uh, can be just supporting um, uh, electronic assets. Uh, maybe they could be outside, they can be inside, they can be by the roadside, they can be by the rail side. Any, anywhere where you need to keep the power on and running all the time, that's what we do. Mm, awesome. Okay, so let's talk about emerging trends. What do you think the trends are that people aren't talking about enough? I had to think about this. I was thinking because most of the time we're, we're talking about everything, but I sort, of, I sort of mentioned it a little bit earlier on. Um, what people aren't talking about uh, and what we talk about is uh, resilience. And, and just think about it that uh, I, I use the example of smart parking. So let's stay on that one because we talked about it. When I'm, when I'm looking to uh, park my car and I'm using an app, I get pretty frustrated or whenever I can't use an app. I mean, I don't know whether you've gone through the uh, the bank app phase when a few years ago when the banks were first introducing their applications. Some banks work better than others. And uh, I actually did change bank because the app was absolutely impossible, almost impossible to use, and switched to a company that had been recommended where the app worked perfectly every single time. So we make, we make judgment calls on whether we can do things. So what happens is as the smart city becomes um, clever enough to allow all this stuff to work, what will happen is that uh, we have a, an expectation then that it always works. I, I often say at presentations that we're pretty forgiving, even though sometimes it doesn't appear like that, but we're pretty forgiving if a human can't deliver something to us. You know, we might, might be initially a little bit angry, but we then look into the eyes of the person who's explaining, look, I'm really sorry, but I can't deliver what you've asked me to deliver. And, and we give them a little bit of a pass, but we're totally unforgiving when it comes to technology. So the, the things that people aren't talking about is they'll talk about all the shiny things and all the fantastic stuff that this technology is going to do, what it's going to do for you. You, know, you have autonomous cars, they're going to take you to wherever you won't need to have your own car, you'll pay as you go, um, it'll deliver you to um, where you want, you know, you won't have to worry about parking. But then on the other hand, what happens when that fails? I, uh, I mean, I know that in Australia, we only have one ride app, which is Uber. And uh, if you're in an area where you can't use Uber because you've lost connectivity or whatever, 
you're pretty stuck. I mean, yes, yeah, sure, you can go find a telephone number for a taxi, but um, you're pretty irritated that you can't actually use that uh, application. So that's, that's the thing we think is not being talked about is resilience, making sure that everything keeps running. Mm, mm. Yeah, definitely. Have you heard about that? Resilience? A lot of people don't talk about it because they, they, I said, yeah, they, they, I mean, I'm sure you've heard about the word resilience, but, you know, I, I, I attend a lot of events and most people are talking about all the goodies that we're going to receive. They're not talking about, well, when we've done all this for you, this is the, this is the strength of our system to make sure that it keeps running. Yeah. Take two supermarkets. If one's got a really resilient technology that works every time you go into it, and the other one has a clunkiness that you don't like, um, where are you going to shop? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think that um, when we move into this smart city, people become less and less tolerant of, um, yeah, technology fails or um, if something is – I mean, it, it, I, I even see it as millennials, like even if it's not smart city, even if it's whatever uh, – We'll just move on to the next thing because there's something else available. Whereas when, if we're talking about a whole city and maybe there isn't anything available, they'll definitely need some change to happen because I think we'll become, um, yeah, more and more in the space of why isn't this working? But there's that aspect, which is the person, um, having higher expectations and, and higher customer experience expectations. But then the other side of it is, um, like you mentioned, if now we're relying on this, for example, like an autonomous vehicle, if somebody, you know, has got rid of their car, they've got this whole fleet of autonomous vehicles at their fingertips. If that suddenly goes away, then, um, having to go back, um, and, and, and maybe not so easily go back in time and deal with that because maybe it's more affordable now to have an autonomous, you know, vehicle at your fingertips. So maybe you can't afford a car anymore and those type of things. And obviously there's, we can't solve all the world's problems right here, but it definitely is a conversation that needs to um, be had on a um, more broader scale, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, I, I think I think the thing is, is that uh, once these things are in place, you actually can't go back. That's the trouble. I mean, again, if you're checking in at an airport and the, and the systems go down, uh, they can't go back to the old paper method because that's been taken away. There was a, a very large city, and it was well broadcast. We all know about it. I won't mention them on this. But uh, in South Australia, that uh, had that major power outage last year. And, uh, and when the power outage occurred, I mean, obviously, that was, it was major. But the whole city shut down, shut down for hours. It was gridlocked. People couldn't move. And that's really before we've even got to a stage where, um, where there's this uh, autonomy that will be created by the smart city environment and um, so imagine when we're a number of stages down beyond that and uh, the, and and we're denied you know unfortunately the world becomes actually a very difficult place when it doesn't happen and i don't know about you but i'm not entirely comfortable that um that, that the technology is uh, always going to work for us even though i'm in that field yes no i agree and i think there'll be certain um thing it really depends on the focus is what i see it as like if somebody has a really strong focus on like in a workplace for example um you know a really strong focus on the way that 
people are doing a certain task, then that's where the money's spent. That's where, um, you know, you can build in that resilience. Whereas there'll be these other things that we're not focused on so heavily that may not get the funding or the, or the focus that they need or the skill sets and, and that kind of thing. And that's where we're going to have some, um, pretty significant fails, which, unfortunately until it happens may not even be known um does that make sense at all yeah, absolutely makes huge sense yes and unfortunately we see we do see it more often than um than we actually talk about in that um if cost becomes the only driver uh then there often are our corners cut and when the corner is cut then uh, then there's generally usually an outage an explainable outage um and and and, and again I don't want to make it sound too scary, but I, I just don't actually have a confidence that uh, we humans have an ability to be able to build. Again, we like all the technology, but our ability to be able to integrate it and make it all work. Yet we certainly have the capability to be able to do that. But um, how we actually do it is another, is another question. Yeah, I agree. And I spoke to um, Michael Leggett of Resilient Grid uh, in the US and you know, the key to resilience is actually the human being. And you can look at a lot of the things that, you know, um, like outages and that kind of thing actually came back to humans, not necessarily the technology, but it's actually that integration between the humans and technology. And so you still, humans still need to have a purpose in this. Um, when we move to this, uh, very high tech, um, high automation, we still need to have a purpose. Otherwise, at the time when we need to, I don't know, resolve a emergency issue or whatever, if we haven't felt like we've had a purpose up until that point, we won't uh, we won't work very well in that high stress environment. If that makes any sense. No, and we won't. We actually won't probably have lost the the ability to know how to fix it as well. You know, that will be uh, left with the few. I think it does. It does raise the question on where does the, the where does this responsibility lie? And uh, I firmly believe that the governments have a pretty significant responsibility here. Um, but again, the challenge is, is that um, governments, are, I guess some people would argue against this, but in general, they're pretty good at being able to run countries, but they're not necessarily uh, fully on board with the uh, technology. And as the technology becomes ever more complicated and uh, specialist, it makes it very much harder for the, uh, for the, for the, for the governments to actually maintain uh, levels of control over over this, and to actually operate fast enough. I mean, you probably see it from policy making decisions that that uh, the technology is just moving so fast that uh, the governments are really struggling, both at local and at uh, federal level. Um, they're really struggling to keep up. Mm. And I think that it it comes down to that focus again, um, where if once we draw our attention to it, once there's a focus on it, then you can hire the resource, you can hire the skill sets that you need. It's not impossible. Like, um, the governments have so much knowledge, so much, um, power, so much, um, ability for enacting really great change. But it's just about having that right talent pool in there that can make the decisions, um, that, you know, the digital diversity. So you've got people that understand the tech making decisions about the tech. Because if you don't understand it, then you're going to have a really hard time making great decisions about what to do with it and what not to do with it. So Certainly are. Hmm. Cool. Well, it's been so great to speak with you this afternoon. Um, I really just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? 
I think the best way really is LinkedIn. I mean, the technology is there. Um, if you link in with me, I'm happy to, I, I accept uh, most people unless they are um, directly trying to sell me something, which is really not what LinkedIn is for. And uh, also, uh, I, I post quite a bit and uh, write a few articles and post them on LinkedIn. So you can keep up to date with uh, what we're thinking and doing and maybe what I'm thinking and doing as well. Yeah, definitely. No, I found LinkedIn to be um, really great for connecting with people. So I will put all the links and everything in the show notes and um, people will be able to connect with you there. It's been awesome to talk with you and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you very much, Zoe. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. It's the Smart City Podcast. Whoa. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart City Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes can be found at thesmartcitypodcast.com. If you have any questions or comments for me or any of my guests, connect with me via email, zoe at thesmartcitypodcast.com or via the socials. I'm on Twitter and Facebook at smartcitypod. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. City Podcast is what you're looking for.